Good morning. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever worked with somebody, or maybe you have somebody in your family like this, who always has to be able to tell a better story than the other people around them. You ever work with somebody like that? Raise your hand if you ever work with, maybe if you're watching online, you can type, you know, I did or in, in the chat, right? And if you can't think of anyone, I'm sorry, it's you. Um, you know, it, you, you've, you've met these people, right? If you're happy, they're ecstatic, right? If you're a little chilled like today, they're on the verge of hypothermia, right? If you're not feeling well, if you're a little under the weather, they just got diagnosed with, you know, terminal heart disease or whatever. Like they always have to have a bigger, better story. Here's the thing, church. We have the best story of all. How often do you tell it? Today we're going to talk about the rhythm of sharing your story. Open your Bibles to Acts 21. Acts 21 verse 37 is where we're going to begin today. Thank you so much uh, again for those of you who are here in the room. For those of you watching online, grateful that you logged in. Just encourage you to continue to do that and stay engaged uh, digitally uh, through this uh, season where that's uh, necessary and helpful for you. Um, I want to do a couple things before we get into our text. Uh, first of all, I've heard there's a football game today. Um, so I want to just get this sorted out. How many of you right now are rooting for the Chiefs? Raise your hand. You can type go KC in the chat. All right. How many of you are rooting for the wrong team? I mean, the Buccaneers. Okay. Um, uh, I grew up in Missouri. You, you know who I'm rooting for today. Okay. So secondly, I, I want to publicly thank uh, those of you who sent cards to our family in the wake of my grandmother's passing, uh, it was such a joy to read through those, and, and I just want to thank you. I, may God bless you for your care and concern. Um, it is one of the unique joys that I have when we onboard a new staff member to sit down and tell them, now listen, I don't know about your experience uh, before, but you need to understand that Chapel Rock takes care of its staff. And I just want to thank you. It's just, it's so much, it's fun for me in that moment when we bring on a new staff member to tell them, I don't know what you've experienced before, but what you're about to experience is awesome. This church does such a great job caring for her staff. So just, I just want to say thank you for that. Um, for the last month, we've been in a sermon series called Back in the Rhythm. And we're looking at how these seven rhythms of Rooted help bring wholeness into our life after the disruptions of 2020. This message is about the rhythm of sharing our story. In the Life in Rhythm book, they basically describe the task uh, of sharing your story as the job description of every Christian, and then they make this musical connection. They, like we've been doing on Sunday mornings sometimes, we, they connect this idea of rhythm to the idea of music. Uh, look at this, this quote from the book. Telling people your story at work is like writing a song. We use both the melody, the themes of God's provision and presence, and lyrics, the narrative or the story of our life to share a full picture of how Jesus has transformed us. The last four days in the book have been focused on the melody of how we love and serve and work in a way pointing to Jesus' provision and presence. Those are very important because they lay the groundwork for our story to be shared and received. But at some point, people need to hear the actual narrative of how Jesus changed our life. I'm fully convinced that the way that God brings wholeness into our lives is what, ha is what happens in our souls when we share the story of what God has done in us through Jesus. 
Yes, it is God's plan for the evangelization of the world. It is also his plan to make you more like Jesus. Because in as much as you share that, as you participate in sharing your story, that actually shapes and forms you into the image of Christ. Here's what I'm telling you today. God's most effective servants tell the story of what he's done for them every chance they get. The best example we have of this in the New Testament is the Apostle Paul. Three different times, Paul tells the story of how Jesus met him in his brokenness, which he thought was righteousness, and changed his life forever. We're going to look at one of those times today. In Jerusalem, there was a rumor that Paul had brought a Gentile into the court of the Jewish men, an offense which was forbidden in Ezekiel 44.9. That false rumor basically starts a riot. And Roman soldiers come into the outer temple courts and arrest Paul, and that sets up this conversation. Look with me at Acts 21, starting in verse 37. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, that's the Antonia Fortress, just to the north of the temple courts, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied, which means he said it in Greek. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? There's actually history behind this. Josephus records about this guy. Some Egyptian, basically like a cult leader, came in, got a bunch of people, and then ultimately led them out into the wilderness. Josephus verifies that this is historically correct. Paul answered, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, modern-day Turkey, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, what's he motioning? Right? He's doing this. Raising his hands, trying to get their attention, and everybody gets quiet. You remember that from school, right? Teacher raises her hand, everybody shuts up. Okay. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic. Literally, it says in the Hebrew dialect. The NIV translates it here. He's speaking the language that they spoke in their homes, their heart language. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was, as thoroughly, and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way. Notice the capital W, the way. Remember, followers of Jesus, disciples early on were called the followers of the way. To their death arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as the high priest and all the council that can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them and their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I ask? I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I ask? Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. At that very moment, I was able to see him. 
Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one. That's the messianic description of Jesus. And to hear the words from his mouth, you will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away. Note that interesting connection. Calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony. He's sharing his story about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Let me pause right here and say, he is not giving an excuse. He's asking for the chance to witness to them. Paul is not giving an excuse. He's not saying, I don't want to go. He's saying, let me at him, Jesus. (laughs) He's asking, can I, but they know me, Lord. They know this will be powerful. And Jesus says, go. I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The next verse tells us that the crowd listened pretty attentively until he said that, and then they lost it. <laughs> it says they started throwing dirt in the air. How mad do you have to be before you pick up dirt and chuck it in the air? That's mad. They are ticked. Now, this is not the only place we can read this story. You can go back in Acts and read it in chapter 9, verse 1 to 31, where where Luke tells the story from the perspective of the narrator. Then Paul will tell the story again when he's on trial in front of King Agrippa in Acts 26. You can read it there. And Paul will tell the story a third time in his letter to the Galatians in Galatians 1, 11 to 24. Here's the point. Paul was in the habit of telling his story. He was in the habit of talking about how Jesus changed his life. Every time he had the opportunity, he told the story. It was a natural expression of his faith in Jesus. And if we're going to have the wholeness that Jesus wants for us, it should be a natural expression for us to do too. And I wish I had the confidence to get up here and say this morning to you all, now go do it and know for sure that it would get done. But I don't. Because the research shows it's actually not happening, or at least it's happening a lot less than it used to. So I think we need to drill into this a little bit more. First of all, let's talk about what this rhythm is. What is the rhythm? First, let me be clear what we're not talking about, okay? I am not talking about some pre-programmed, rehearsed speech that you shoehorn into conversations with, not, with non-Christians, you know, whenever you can, no matter whether they want to talk about it or not. That is not what I'm talking about. I am not talking about ramming your experience down people's throats, whether they like it or not, right? It's like the old joke about, you know, an atheist, a CrossFitter, and a vegan walked into a bar. And the only reason I know that is because in two minutes they told everybody in there, you know. That's not it. So what is the rhythm? Well, let me give you this definition. The rhythm of sharing your story is a regular, intentional contextualized and specific verbal witness of the difference Jesus has made in your life. A regular, intentional, contextualized and specific verbal witness of the difference Jesus has made in your life. And what I want to do is just kind of break this down and just drill into each one of these as we go. First of all, let's break this down. It's regular. 
It's regular. It stands to reason that a, a rhythm is something you do with some frequency, right? We're still near the beginning of the year, and occasionally the gym is still crowded. If you got up here this morning and you were to try to tell me that you are a regular at the gym because you go every January 2nd every year no matter what, <laughs> and that's it, you'll pardon me if I struggle to believe that you're regular right? It's it's just, it's something that we do with frequency. It's regular, right? Secondly, it's intentional. Now, our faith ought to just ooze out of us, right? You squeeze a Christian, you ought to get Jesus. I'm not discounting that. But for this to be a a rhythm, there has to be some intention here. You've got to make a choice in the moment to share your story, Probably every one of you in here has had the experience where you you realize here's an opportunity and you had to decide, am I going to say something or not? (laughs) All right, it's intentional. There's some choice behind it. Third, it's contextualized. In other words, you you pay attention to your context. Just like Paul did in Acts and in Galatians, you shape your story in the moment, but you don't make stuff up. All right, I'm not saying make stuff up. Paul tells his story three different times. They're never exactly the same. Now, it follows the same basic narrative outline. Every time he tells it, it pretty much follows this outline. But he he tweaks it a little bit because the audience is different every time. First, he's in front of a hostile crowd in Jerusalem. Second time he tells the story, he's on trial in front of King Agrippa. Almost maybe even gets him to the point where Agrippa's thinking about becoming a Christian. He says, are you trying to convert me? And Paul says, I wish you were just like me, except for this prison jewelry. (laughs) He was in chains. Third time he's writing to the Galatians, it's a rebuke. So there's a little bit more of an edge to that story. He tweaks it. It's contextualized for what he's talking about. Fourth, it's specific and it's verbal. All right? Now listen, I know that 1 Peter 2.12 says that we should live such good lives that pagans glorify God. And that, while commendable, is not evangelism. Just living a good life, just being a good person around people who are not Christians is not the rhythm. (laughs) Sharing your story when you tell about a specific time in your life when Jesus made a difference for you, that's the rhythm. Your story of what he has done has power. And the power of story is gaining traction in our culture. Even people in the secular world are starting to wake up to this. Confessional storytelling by average people has become, uh, been popularized by a nonprofit called The Moth. They stage over 500 shows a year across the United States. The Moth Radio Hour was launched in 2009 and has now on 500 public radio stations around the country, including here in Indianapolis. Its weekly podcast is downloaded over 73 million times a year. And basically, it's people getting up. and It's like an open mic at a comedy thing, only they're just telling stories. It's, if you've never listened to it, it's powerful. People just raw and, and confessional, and they're just telling their story. And sometimes it's funny, and sometimes you can hear in the crowd. It's moving. Executive Director Sarah Haberman, excuse me, Executive Director Sarah Haberman told Forbes that no matter where you're from or whatever your background, your story has the power to unite people. And author Richard Wagamese wrote, all that we are is story. It's what we arrive with, 
It's all we leave behind. We are not the things we accumulate. We are not the things we deem important. We are story. The rhythm of sharing your story is a regular, intentional, contextualized, and specific verbal witness of the difference Jesus has made in your life. So, why does it matter? I can make this real simple. I want you to raise raise your hand or type me in the chat if you're a Christian, if you're here today because somebody you know told you about Jesus. Raise your hand. Type me in the chat. Look around. Do you need any more reason than that? Let me give you three. Here's the first one. Three reasons why sharing our story matters. Number one, we're not doing it. At least not as much or not as well. A recent Barna Research project titled Spiritual Conversations in the Digital Age turned up the disheartening statistic that among self-identified Christians in the United States, over 40%, I want you to listen very carefully to this, over 40% had had less than three spiritual conversations in the last year. Now, you need to know what they define as spiritual conversation. They are not talking about witnessing opportunities. They are talking about any conversation where you discuss faith or Jesus or the Bible or church. Any conversation. 9% had had zero. What that means is that 9% of people who regularly go to church don't even talk about it in their home with their family. further 31% had had no more than two or three conversations in the last year. Church, this has to change. We are clearly out of the rhythm. (laughs) Which makes no sense because of the second reason why this matters. The second reason is that good news is fun to tell. Don't you love doing that? When you have good news, isn't it so fun to tell people? It's awesome when you have the good, like, oh, this is great. This week, Emma got engaged. Yeah. We are thrilled. This is her husband-to-be, Garrett Thomas. We're excited for them. He's a, Garrett is a good and godly young man. We love him. I think he's probably going to take my daughter to Southeast Asia as a missionary. And Okay, fine. It's what Jesus wants. <laughs> we're, we're, we're excited for them. He, he gave us a heads up this past week that this might be happening. And, and I knew about this coming into our uh, prayer time as a staff. And so I just, we're doing praises. It's what we do. I said something. I'm excited. Well, later, Debbie popped into the office and saw Sherry Rodkey, and Sherry said something, and I was in trouble when I got home. (laughs) She's like, you told. I'm happy about it. I'm excited, right? (sighs) Church, we have the best news in the history of the universe. It's good news. Don't you love to talk about good news? Isn't that refreshing, given how much of it out there is bad? We should talk about this. There's one more reason this matters, and it's that people need to hear it. People need to hear it. 
many preachers these days are afraid to talk about hell. I don't know why. Jesus believed in it. He thought it was real. But they're afraid to talk about it. I'm not one of them. Hell is a real place. And real people will really go unless they really respond to the gospel. People need to hear this. They need to hear it. It's great news. You've got to share your story. There's an old expression, you are the only gospel some people will ever read. So, but Casey, I don't know what will happen. I don't either. God does. But, but what, if, what if they get mad at me? I, people were chucking dirt in the air. They were so mad at Paul. He kept doing it. I want to put an idea in front of you. Some of you may want to write this down. Look at this. You are not responsible for their response. But you are accountable for your account of what Jesus has done for you. You are not responsible for their response. But you are accountable for your account of what Jesus has done for you. You are the only gospel some people will ever read. And I want to put this vision in front of you. What if we all kind of adopted the attitude that I can't tell my story without talking about Jesus? If you can tell the story of your life and Jesus never comes up, man, we're going to have an invitation here in a little while and you better respond to it. Because there's something broken in your story and he can fix it. I can't tell my story without talking about Jesus. What if that dominated the way that you live your life at home and the way that you work and the way that you raise your kids and grandkids and the way that you relate to your neighbors? Hopefully people begin to notice a little more Jesus in your speech. So let's drill into this on a practical level. How do we get into this rhythm? Paul's story is not your story, right? Paul's story is not, I'm guessing, it's just, just, just a guess, but I'm guessing that nobody in this room and nobody watching online has ever killed someone because they believe differently than you. Just, I mean, if you want to confess, now would be the time. Okay, no one's raising their hand, I don't know. We're going to have an invitation soon, if you'd like to. Anyway, um, <laughs> Paul's story is not your story, but I believe that God inspired Paul to preserve his story in Scripture three times. I believe that God inspired Paul to preserve this story so that our lives could be transformed by the same Spirit that enabled Paul to tell his story <laughs> and that lives in you and I, for those of us who are in Christ. See, Paul's zeal for the faith, the, the, the Jewish faith, was propelling him into the upper echelon of, of its hierarchy. Paul said that he studied under Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the leading Pharisaic rabbi of his time. You need to understand the impact of this. Paul was probably next in line. Paul's not just some random dude, y'all. God picked this guy because A, he was absolutely brilliant, B, completely fearless, and C, probably one of the greatest minds of the first century. 
Paul, what he's doing here, basically in a modern analogy, it would be like studying physics under Stephen Hawking. It'd be like studying business and entrepreneurship under Elon Musk. That, that's the level that Paul was at. He was in those rarefied airs. Paul says he was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. That refers primarily to the Old Testament Mosaic law, but also would have included all the teachings of the Pharisees that they added on to that that eventually became the Mishnah and the Targums. He knew all of it. He was passionate about the story of his people. He was passionate about his own story. And it was that passion that was driving him to do some really horrible stuff. So it is so, so significant when Paul tells his story in such a way that he changes from being the hero to kind of being the villain. Did you notice that? As Paul begins to tell his story, I studied under Gamaliel. I was just as passionate as you are. And you're like, whoa, this guy's something else, right? And he goes, but. But in the telling of his own story, Paul changes from being the hero to being the villain. Sociologists tell us that the preeminent sign of a true conversion is biographical reconstruction. You want to know if someone's changed? They start to tell their story different. Doesn't mean they make stuff up or they say things that aren't true. They just tell the story different. Paul goes from being the hero of his own story to kind of being the bad guy. And it completely changed because he encountered Jesus. So much so that he reconstructed his perception of himself. And it was that version, the reconstructed version of his story that he put on display every time he had the chance. A regular, intentional, contextualized, and specific verbal witness of the difference Jesus had made in his life. So how do we do this? Well, there are four simple habits to put in place in your daily life that will help you get into this rhythm. Now, I said they're simple. That doesn't mean they're easy. <laughs> they're simple in the sense of being uncomplicated. They're simple in the sense of being not hard to understand. This is not like super deep stuff, right? This is pretty basic, all right? But it doesn't mean it's easy, all right? I want, these come out of this, this book, uh, The Reluctant Witness by Don Everts. This is a fantastic, as you can see, right, it's not like you, it's not a big, thick, heavy reference book. You can buzz through this in a couple evenings, take an afternoon and an evening, you read the whole thing. And there are even lots of pictures. <laughs> because this, this is actually written from the same Barna research study um, that, that I referenced earlier. A lot of that same research is in here. And so the statistics I were quoting you are from this uh, resource. Um, he, and he was actually part of that study, too. They did it in cooperation with a group called the Lutheran Hour. But they, they looked at these people in this study that they called eager conversationalists. The people who are just kind of better at it than the rest of us. <laughs> in the sense that they just love to jump into these conversations. And they looked at what was different about them versus the, everybody else. And this is what they found. There are four habits that they practice, that they enjoy, that we need to do. Here's the first one, number one. Eager conversationalists look for and expect spiritual conversations in everyday life. They look for and expect spiritual conversations in everyday life. Okay? 
These are people who are looking for the right context to share. They're not manufacturing the opportunity. You know, it's like the guy who, who wanted to go do, he wanted to witness more. And so he's at the grocery store and he's thinking, I got I to gotta find a way to say something here about the Lord. And, and so he, he gets his stuff and he gets to the cart and he goes up to the express checkout counter. And, and he goes, uh, 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 for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the lady's like, including you, buddy. I count 21 items here. This is 15 or less. Next line, please. Right? They're, they're looking for opportunities to have these conversations. The, the habit is that they're continually, their, their radar is up, right? Their, their spiritual radar is kind of always on. And it, like, hey, here's a chance. Here's an opportunity. They're not manufacturing it, but they're looking for it, all right? Here's second, the second habit. Eager conversationalists pursue and initiate spiritual conversations. Here, here's the thing. It is going to be very, very rare for someone to walk up to you and grab you by the collar and say, can you tell me how to get saved? That would be awesome. That would be amazing. But it's really, really rare. And so an eager conversationalist will be the one to pursue and initiate the conversation. You are going to have to get in the habit of starting. Being the one to move the conversation that direction. Oftentimes it's going to happen with a question. right? Habit number three. Eager conversationalists are open to sharing their faith in a wide variety of ways. In the Barna study that I referenced, it was fascinating. The only So they, they ran this study in 1993 and then they ran it again last year. All right? So a 27-year gap between the two, which hurts me to think that 1993 was 27 years ago. Anyway, um, they, they ran this study and the only area that we're not, or that we're doing, we're doing better uh, or more of now than we were then is that we're using the same approach every single time, which is actually bad because it's not effective. They said that the eager conversationalists are flexible. They're flexible. They realize not every conversation is going to go the same way. And sometimes it might go really well. And sometimes it might go really bad. People chucking dirt in the air. You know, like, but they're, they're open to having a, a wide variety of ways. It's not pre-programmed. Like we said before, it's contextualized. All right? So here's, say, so Casey, what do I do about this? Let me give you a prayer to pray. I pray this prayer every morning before my feet hit the floor. Literally, I'm laying in bed and I pray this prayer. And here's what I pray. I say, God, Give me opportunities to speak Jesus today and the eyes to see him. Because I don't know about you, but I've had opportunities and blown it. <laughs> totally. Like, get home and go, oh, man, I missed it. Or get in a car, you know, after you've been in the store, like, oh, they totally just, it was a golden opera, and they just, God, lay that in front of me, and I blew it. So my prayer every day is, God, give me opportunities to speak Jesus and, and, and the eyes to see him. Opportunities and open eyes. That's my prayer every day. I, I would just put that in your prayer list. Here's the fourth habit. Eager conversationalists gently push through awkward moments. They gently push through awkward moments. These people know that Jesus has made a difference and they, they just, they discipline their soul to push through the awkwardness. There's a guy at my gym. Um, he's uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of how to say this the right way. Uh, he's doing something immoral, but he knows wh who I am and what I do. 
and he asked my opinion about it. I'm on the, I'm on the bike, and he's on the cable machine. What do you think about this? Awkward. I said, man, I'm not, I'm not trying to get up in your grill about this. Do you, do you, you, want, you know who I am and what I do. Do you really want to know? Yeah. It's wrong. I think you know it's wrong. Yeah, I know. What are you going to do about it? <sighs> I need to talk to her. Okay. <laughs> it, it, it was incredibly awkward. It was, it was hard. I did not like it. And it was just like, <laughs> I'm going to go back to the bike. Um, listen, if you will embrace these habits you can create a rhythm of sharing your story. They're, they're, they're really pretty simple. <laughs> I had a mentor named Bill. Bill was a great guy. Serious. Loved Jesus. Intense. He's focused. And when he was really young, uh, he was at Bible college, and, and <laughs> the, he was walking across the the you know, campus, and he had a face that could just freeze water, right? And his, his professor grabbed me by the collar and he stopped and said, Bill, Bill, said, let me ask you a question. Okay. He said, Bill, are you saved? Yeah. He said, wait a minute, you mean to tell me that, that you have appropriated the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross in your place for your sins and rose again three days later so that you don't have to go to hell, that you can have eternal life with Jesus? You've accepted that, Bill? Yeah. And, and, and you've, you've got the Holy Spirit living inside you, don't you? Yeah. And he goes, and you're going to go out and you're going to tell people about Jesus, aren't you, Bill? He said, yeah. He said, then Bill, please, tell your face. <laughs> Did you hear me? God's most effective servants tell the story of what he's done for them every chance they get. You gonna tell that story? Maybe you need to refire your enthusiasm for what he's done for you. Maybe you need Jesus to write a new chapter in your story. We're gonna stand and sing here in a moment, like for real this time. And <laughs> thank you. Uh, maybe you need Jesus to write a new chapter. I would encourage you to, to come to the front. I'm gonna be down here. Fred will be down here, ready to receive you. Maybe you just need to walk out of here with a renewed commitment to sharing your story, to get back in the rhythm. It, in a pandemic, wearing masks, I know, it's tough. But we need to have that commitment, church. I don't know what you need. I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to sing together, and you respond as God leads you today. Mm -hmm.